LinkedIn News. Our mind is embodied, relational, and collective. It only appears personal. There's a non-local field, which is infinite, of awareness in which body-mind and universe both recycle and evolve. It's a radical idea, but it's an idea now that is slowly being accepted by science that we are not in the world, the world is in us. We are not in the body, the body is in us. We are not in the mind, the mind is in us. That is Deepak Chopra, and I'm Leah Smart, and this is Everyday Better. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, and this is Everyday Better, a self-improvement podcast where every week I sit down with some of the world's brightest minds and bravest hearts to learn how we can improve ourselves, our relationship to others, and the world around us. We just wrapped up our listener survey. Thank you to all of you who filled it out. Your feedback means so much to me and to my team. One easy takeaway was that many of you love our content, but you didn't know that we have a weekly newsletter. So if you want to join us and get applicable ways to shift your mindset and improve your well-being, you can do so by heading over to www.linkedin.com slash everydaybetter. That is www.linkedin.com slash everyday better. I would be honored to jump into your inbox and share strategies for choosing to be a little bit better every day. If you're just joining me, we introduced four pillars of well-being this month that I promise and research shows that if you give them a little more intentional attention, you will thrive. They are physical health, emotional health, relational health, and work health. I want to emphasize with work health that it's not just your job, but your contribution, and your sense of purpose. Now, if you go look up the elements of well-being, which I encourage you to do, you're going to find a ton of models. Our focus is on some of the most widely recognized pillars that are backed by research. And this week is a little bit of a bonus week. We are diving into an area of well-being, which is spirituality. Now, many models of well-being cite the importance of purpose, meaning, or spirituality when it comes to thriving in life. When I say spirituality, I want you to know I'm not referring solely to religion, although that is how many people experience it. I instead prefer to refer to Brene Brown's definition that she developed through her research. And I'm going to read it to you because when I first read it, it brought me to tears. She says, The definition of spirituality that emerged from the data, first coded in 2009, is not something I would ever label watered down. But it is different from how most of us think of spirituality. Spirituality is recognizing and celebrating that we are all inextricably connected to each other by a power greater than all of us, and that our connection to that power and to one another is grounded in love and in compassion. Practicing spirituality brings a sense of perspective, meaning, and purpose to our lives. Without exception, spirituality, the belief in connection, a power greater than self, and interconnections grounded in love and compassion— emerged as a component of resilience. Most people spoke of God, but not everyone. Some were occasional churchgoers, others were not. Some worshipped at fishing holes, others in temples, mosques, or at home. 
Some struggled with the idea of religion. Others were devout members of organized religions. The one thing they all had in common was spirituality as the foundation of their resilience. That gets me every single time. And it's not just Dr. Brown's research. There is much more signaling the importance of spirituality as it relates to the quality and even the length of our lives. So today, we're talking about where this belief in a power greater than ourselves meets science and how it can profoundly impact our everyday experiences. And who better to talk about this topic than one of the pioneers in blending Eastern wisdom and Western medicine, Deepak Chopra. In his new book, The Quantum Body, The New Science of Living a Longer, Healthier, More Vital Life, Dr. Chopra and his co-authors, physicist Jack Tuzinski and endocrinologist Brian Fertig, explore the innovative world of quantum physics, demonstrating how unlocking its secrets can revolutionize how we live, age, and ultimately how we might eradicate disease. The key, they say, is the quantum body. Now, if you're feeling a little lost, that is totally normal. Quantum anything tends to make my head hurt. So to hopefully fix this and help you, I'll be popping in throughout the episode to give you guidance, definitions, or simply highlight something that you should pay attention to. Alrighty, here is Dr. Deepak Chopra on the quantum body and how we can all enhance our well-being through a focus on spirituality. I wrote a book in 1988 called Quantum Healing. And at that time, there was no science such as epigenetics. We did not know anything about the microbiome. There was no AI. There was no understanding of neuroplasticity. I wrote the book based on my understanding of wisdom traditions, which say that our mind and body and experience of the world is a projection of a deeper reality, which in spiritual traditions is called soul or spirit or the unfathomable mystery of our existence. Now, 35 years later, it's very apparent that less than 5% of all disease, all disease, cancer, heart disease, autoimmune illness, dementia, Alzheimer's, is due to what we call fully penetrant genes which means genes that guarantee the disease. So if somebody has a Baraka gene, for example, which predicts breast cancer, then they are going to get breast cancer. Frequently use the example of Angelina Jolie, who had that gene, and she had a preventive mastectomy, which was the right thing to do. But even as we speak, we have a new science called gene editing. So metaphorically speaking, you'd be able to cut and paste genes the way you cut and paste your emails. That'll get rid of 5% of all chronic illness. The rest actually comes from how we experience life, including everything from sleep to personal relationships, to emotions, to social interactions, to how we exercise, mind-body coordination, yoga, tai chi, qigong, food that repairs the microbiome. Okay, so if you did not catch this, what Deepak is saying is that much of our chronic illness is related to how we go through life. What we eat and how we exercise are obvious ones, but also how we work with or ignore our emotions, how we focus on or understand our microbiome, and so much else. In other words, you have more power than you think over your health. 
every experience is measurable. And that is because we have technology and also we have technology that can correlate through AI every experience with every experience. And what we're learning from AI, how to correlate these behaviors and measure them, gives us actually a new window into the future of well-being. Well-being now, it will be personalized, it will be predictable, it will be preventable, many diseases are reversible, and also quantum body gives us a clue to a more fundamental domain of existence. Again, in spiritual traditions, that's called solar spirit, but we can look at it as a field of awareness that projects itself as mind, body, and the experience of the universe. That field of awareness is around us, it's in us, it's incomprehensible, it's infinite, it's fundamental, it's called the mystery of our existence. Some people call it God, spirit, doesn't matter what you call it, but without that field, which is awareness, no experience would be possible. Experience of mind, body, and the universe happens in our awareness. And that awareness is infinite, it's fundamental, it doesn't belong to us, we are recycling in it. What do you mean by that? We're recycling in it. Our body is not the container of awareness. Our body is an experience in awareness. Our mind is not the container of awareness or consciousness. Our mind is recycled in it. We don't have a personal mind. It, our mind is embodied, relational, and collective. It only appears personal. There's a non-local field, which is infinite, of awareness in which body-mind and universe both recycle and evolve. It's a radical idea, but it's an idea now. The world is in us. We are not in the body. The body is in us. We are not in the mind. The mind is in us. Now, other people have said it more eloquently. The Christian theologian who said, Dear Deschardes, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. The human experience is time-bound. The spiritual experience is timeless. When people have what is called a religious or spiritual experience, they find their identity, their soul identity, beyond space-time. They have the spontaneous emergence of qualities like truth, goodness, beauty, harmony, love, compassion, joy, equanimity. And they also lose the fear of death. That is the fundamental religious experience. And then, of course, that gets codified into religious theology, doctrine, philosophy. Those are systems of thought. Reality is beyond all systems of thought. The systems of thought are human creations, whether the linguistic thought or musical thought or mathematical thought or philosophical thought, scientific thought. Reality is not dependent on thought. Reality is beyond the source of all experience, which is thoughts, feelings, sensations, emotions which are basically how we know anything. We know anything as an experience. Before you can call anything an object, it's an experience. And the experience is sensations, sound, sense perceptions, images, feelings, thoughts. Everything else that we call the physical world is a human construct. What do we do with this information on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, you know, day-to-day -day basis, if you really get what I'm saying, you live a carefree life. You have no anxiety. You don't anticipate the future. You don't regret the past. You're fully alive to experience as it happens in the moment. Present moment awareness is a constant in mindfulness and spiritual traditions. Simply put, 
It asks you to be fully aware of just the moment you're experiencing right now, without worry about the future, reflection, or regret about the past. One way I like to remember this is be here now. It's all you have. And then you let the moment pass because it has passed. Instead, many of us make up stories about the moment. Thus, we hold on to it and we are not fully here in present moment awareness. You also know that your true identity is not body, mind or brain or the physical world. It's your spirit or consciousness. You don't have fear of death and you actually have what is the fundamental experience of existence, which is existence, awareness of existence, and the knowledge of existence. Now, in the book, I start with very simple including how you get in touch with fundamental reality through breathing. How do you get with fundamental reality through feeling? How do you experience the world beyond the conditioned mind? So there are practical ways to start, but ultimately it's a lifelong journey. Throughout history, people have broken through the conditioned mind. We call them luminaries, we call them sages, we call them seers, we call them prophets. That was the the province of very few people in the world, whether it's Jesus or Buddha or Rumi or other people. But now because we have technology where we can share ideas and experiences, it's possible, I think, to create a collective awakening for a more peaceful, just, sustainable healthier and joyful world. We're taking a quick break. We'll be right back with Deepak Chopra. But before we go to break, let's hear from our listeners on how they're planning to improve this year. My name is Angel, and I live in the northeast corner of Pennsylvania. Something I would like to improve on in 2024 is the ability to stay present. In years past, I found myself waking up and feeling the weight of lost years. The way I would like to achieve this continuous state of presence is by allowing myself to slow down no matter how mundane or fast-paced the day can be, and learning how to practice self-awareness in that moment. I think that this is such a large component to self-care. When we learn how to take care of ourselves, we can then truly understand the importance of what it means to take care of others. Hi, I'm Ryan from Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I'm very excited about 2024. During the new year, I've set some resolutions and some intentions to help me pay down some of my debt so that I can achieve financial freedom. So that means spending less and spending more intentionally, paying off any loans, and setting a goal for a savings account that will help me to put something for a new investment, a new property, something in the future, maybe a new home. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. 
I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Beret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with Deepak Chopra. So the book is about what is reality beyond all systems of language. Because language allows us to not only describe the world, but construct the world. And now we have AI with all kinds of language, biological language, mathematical language, language of physics, artistic language, musical language. So we're looking at an era of unprecedented knowledge, but it is not giving us experience of wisdom. Wisdom only comes when you get in touch with that part of yourself which is beyond all language and all human constructs. Okay, I'm jumping back in here. One of my favorite books is called The Untethered Soul. It deconstructs what Deepak is saying about consciousness and wisdom in the form of a question. Who are you? Pretty simple question. And if I ask you this, your first answer is probably something like your name. If I were to then write down your name on a piece of paper and hold it up to you and ask, is this who you are? You'd say, well, no, I'm Leah Smart. I was born in Berkeley, California. I have a brother and two parents I grew up with. Those are the people who raised me. I went to these set of schools, and that's how I got to the point that you're finding me today. But then if I asked if that story is who you are, you say, no, I'm me. Now, if we continue down this path and I asked you if me is your brain, <laughs> you might pause to consider but if I said, are you the three-pound organ in your head? You'd say, of course not. And then if I asked if you are your body, you might pause again. But consider this. If I asked if it was you in there when you were a tiny three-year-old and then a growing 10-year-old and a 20-year-old and then a 35-year-old adult, you'd say, well, yes, I was always in there. So that means you are not your body. If I ask then, who are you? Wouldn't it make sense to say that you're the one experiencing your mind, your thoughts, your body, your story. So that makes you separate from them. If you can listen to your thoughts, if you can feel your body, you're in a subject-object relationship. You're the subject. The thoughts, for example, are the object. This is part of the study of awareness and consciousness. So you talked about some of the things you have in the book around how we breathe, how we experience emotion. What are some of those things that people can put into place today from the practical perspective? Well, the book has many meditations, many reflections, and many exercises. And, uh, you know, your breath is the most primordial sensation. By regulating your breath, you can regulate your biology. Also, you can feel what's happening inside your body through something called interoceptive awareness. So you get to know your body from the inside out. We learn some of that as children. They call it toilet training. So you learn how to control your bladder and your bowel, but you can actually learn how to control your immune system, your endocrine system, your cardiovascular system, 
you can regulate your entire body by what is called interoceptive awareness. These are practices taught in advanced yoga as dharana, dhyan, samadhi. Dharana is focused awareness, dhyan is meditation, samadhi is transcendence. So that is the level of feeling. And you can also look at the world through not just your conditioned mind, which is how everybody's looking at it. But, you know, if I asked you, what are you aware of this moment? You would say, I'm aware of myself and I'm aware of the world. But what is it that's aware of both yourself and the world at the same time? So right now, as I'm speaking to you, I'm aware of my body, I'm aware of my mind, aware of the screen, I'm aware of you, and aware of the room that I'm in. And actually, that is all part of the scenery. My body and my mind are part of the scenery. They're not the subject of experience. They go along with the scenery. So what is it that is aware of being aware? We call that self-awareness. Self-awareness is awareness of your soul, your spirit, of your consciousness in which the whole universe is recycling and evolving as our own sensations, sense perceptions, images, feelings, thoughts. This pursuit of knowing reality in the past was called enlightenment. So when the Buddha was dying, he made the comment, this lifetime of ours is transient as autumn clouds. To watch the birth and death of beings is like looking at the movements of a dance. A lifetime is like a flash of lightning in the sky, rushing by like a torrent down a steep mountain. The Western philosopher Wittgenstein said something similar. He said, our life is a dream. We are asleep, but once in a while we wake up enough to know that we are dreaming. So if you think about, if I asked you what happened to your childhood, you would say it's a dream. But what about yesterday? It no longer exists. In fact, if you think about yesterday, it's as fuzzy as a dream. If you think about this morning, it's as fuzzy when you woke up. Right now, that's as fuzzy as a dream. It's ungraspable. So what does it mean to wake up from the dream? That's what the Buddha did. That's what Rumi did. That's what Jesus Christ did. And that's what we all need to do. Otherwise, we are sleepwalking to extinction. So when it comes to bringing this a little closer, when illness happens to us, we have yet to believe or potentially accept this concept that we have more power over our body's experience of illness. Most of the time, I think we believe, hey, I'm prone to this, or this is something that's just going to happen. Yeah, but it all depends on what you define as we. You know, we use this word we or I, and then we say, what is that? And we say, that's me. And they said, who's me? Is it your body? Well, which body are you talking about? Fertilized egg, zygote, embryo, baby, toddler. Your body is not a noun, it's a word. Then you say, it's my mind. And you say, which mind? Yesterday's mind, teenager's mind, uh, you know, young mind, old mind, all the way to dusty death. So when you go deeper into identity, then you say that every identity that you had is provisional. It's not, you know, you were a teenager, that was an identity. You're black or white, that's a provisional identity. We all come from the same gene pool and the weather changed the way we look. So, you know, we have all these provisional identities that bamboozle us into false constructs. If you realize that your identity is awareness, which is infinite and infinite possibilities, it's the immeasurable potential of all that will be. You don't even worry about these things. And in fact, when you don't, that's when your body heals. Because, you know, your body is constantly, your mind is constantly 
resisting existence. And that's what stress is. It's the perception of threat. And ultimately, everything is connected to stress, which is anticipating what can go wrong, regretting what happened in the past, resisting what's happening in the moment, on and on. So 95% of our illnesses are epigenetically connected to perception of threat, whether it's physical threat, psychological threat, emotional threat, or financial threat, it doesn't matter. Your spirit, your awareness is independent of all that. Now, these are concepts that are difficult for people because they don't think about them. Nobody is even surprised that they exist. You know, they just take existence for granted. So if you're not surprised by why you exist or why you have awareness of existence, you haven't even gotten to the first step. Now, I did my best to say that you can modify your experience of illness. 95% is epigenetic, even though you have predisposition to certain diseases, they only predispose you to that. They don't guarantee that. So you take ordinary steps, like get good sleep, learn to meditate, change your diet, manage stress through breathing techniques, mind-body coordination, yoga, tai chi, qigong, whatever way suits you. Take care of your biological rhythms. Have emotional resiliency. Learn to live with paradox, ambiguity, contradiction, because that's the nature of our life. Give up your habitual certainties. That's a start. But ultimately, you have to go beyond all that. And that's a lifelong journey. Fortunately, these days, we can connect with each other and we can actually use technology to actually give us deeper insights into our own self, into the nature of our body, mind, etc. So if I look at the major revolutions in the last 5-10 years, they are AI, the gene editing, the messenger RNA, it's the microbiome, and also some insights from psychedelics. But most importantly, neuroplasticity and epigenetic shift, which means the choices we make every moment change the landscape of our brain, which is created by genes and sculpted by experience. And the genes in turn are the memories and the experiences of our ancestors. Only 5% guaranteed disease. The rest, we can influence their activity by the choices we make. Hmm. So I've heard it said that human consciousness is the next scientific frontier. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, but it's not human. It's universal consciousness. Human mind is human. And so consciousness has infinite possibilities. Human consciousness allows you to experience the world through the projected human mind. What is the world like to a dragonfly with 30,000 eyes? You have no idea. What is the world like to a bat that experiences the world? through the echo of ultrasound. No idea. So, you know, what we call objective reality is just a projection of the human mind. Consciousness is infinite and includes all minds, all species, and all possibilities. It is infinite. And that really is the next frontier. Consciousness doesn't belong to us. We belong to it. We are one mode of experience in consciousness, which has infinite modes of experience. Every biological species is a mode of experience, including plants, animals, and even bacteria and viruses, all in the one consciousness. That's beautiful. It creates a sense of so much reverence for me for our world and for everything 
reverence, humility, wonder. Deepak, I'm going to have you complete these three statements for me as we wrap up. Better humans are? Those that know empathy, compassion, and love in action. Better work is? Work should be joy, and joy should be the measure of success. So better work is joyful work. And a better world has? A better world is more peaceful, just sustainable, healthier, and joyful. Deepak, thank you so much for joining me. Um, You are a wealth of so much wisdom, and I can only hope that all of us take what you're sharing and apply it. I know it's a lifelong journey, but begin to apply it as soon as we can. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Always a pleasure to speak to you and your wonderful audience. That was Deepak Chopra, author of 94 books, one of Time's 100 Most Influential People, pioneer in integrative medicine and personal transformation. His co-authored book, Quantum Body, is out now, so you can get it wherever you like to buy your books. I find with conversations like these, there's a spectrum of experiences and responses. No matter where you are landing, I think the simplest thing you can do is to choose to become more aware of yourself. Just be a little more present to your experiences and aware of your mind, your thoughts, your body, your reactions. Do your best to be at cause when it comes to the experiences you have in your life. It will make you feel so much more empowered around your well-being and your health in any of the areas we've talked about this month. On that note, thank you so much for joining us in January for your better blueprint in 2024. I truly hope that you've gotten so much out of these conversations. I sure have. And that it's guiding you in some way to shift how you're approaching your well-being and your health this year. If you like this conversation, share it with the first person who comes to mind and give us a rating before you go to help other people like you find the show. Additionally, we'd love to hear what you liked about this episode or our show in general. So take a minute to write a one-sentence review so that we can see it and thank you for it. If you're not subscribed to my newsletter, make sure you sign up. You'll get weekly research-backed practices for elevating your mindset and living more meaningfully right into your inbox. Go to linkedin.com slash everydaybetter. That's linkedin.com slash everydaybetter. Everyday Better is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Alexis Ramdow. Asaf Gijron is our sound engineer. He makes sure we sound good in the studio. John Partham mixed our show. Enrique Montalvo is the executive producer of LinkedIn Editorial Productions. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of LinkedIn Original Audio and Video. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming with me, and I'll see you next week.